Welcome to On DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. Thanks for joining us this week. And our show this time is all about the changing IT landscape in the Navy. And to the extent Navy IT gets much attention from the press and from the public, it's usually around the big next generation enterprise network contract. The recompete of NGEN is in the source selection process right now, and, and NGEN is really important. It is several billion dollars worth of IT services over the next several years. But there is a lot that the Navy's doing, or at least planning on doing right now, that you won't get just from reading that NGEN R solicitation. As we reported just a few days ago, the future that Navy IT officials are imagining right now would take a fairly agnostic approach about whether Navy IT users are physically connected to a Navy network at all, or even using a Navy-issued device. They're going after a concept they're calling modern service delivery, which is a combination of moving a lot of those services that right now are being hosted and delivered on-premises in Navy data centers and moving them to the cloud, and also changing the way the Navy thinks about security. In a nutshell, that security piece is about making someone's identity the starting point of whether he or she can get access to a particular service or particular database, and not whether he or she is physically plugged into the Navy Marine Corps intranet on a Navy installation. There is still a lot of work to do on that identity front, but the Navy's already taking some steps toward a more modern approach to identity management. One that's happening right now is a full enterprise-wide adoption of derived credentials. That means Navy users will be able to access their email system and send encryption messages without having to attach a separate device to their mobile phones to read their common access cards. At the same time, the Navy is also experimenting with commercial two-factor authentication to give sailors access to their personnel records in a secure way. We'll talk later on in the show about some of those broader issues, including cloud migration, but we're going to start off on that specific identity management point. Captain Ben McNeil is the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks. Aside from managing that engine acquisition, the adoption of those derived credentials is part of his portfolio, too. The Navy's using the Defense Information Systems Agency's purebred program as its way of getting those credentials onto mobile devices. Captain McNeil talked with me at the Navy CIO's IT conference in San Diego about why the Navy finally decided to adopt purebred. One is that from a from a policy uh, that really stems from from where DOD is headed uh, with credentialing and authentication, uh, uh, derived credentials uh, was one of those key policies that was levied. Uh, that quite frankly, the Navy has been it's, with respect to mobility, the Navy has been a little bit behind on. And so purebred was our opportunity in terms of uh, leveraging and uh, working with DISA uh, to provide that capability uh, as an implementation uh, that would be integrated with our mobility solutions moving forward. And who's the user base for this? I assume we're pretty much just talking about government furnished equipment, right? Yes, yes. And we're talking about government furnished equipment. Uh, our primary user base is uh, probably about 35,000, uh, which is a subset of the overall NMCI user base, right? Uh, we also have uh, a number of users uh, above and beyond that that are using it in our OCONUS OneNet environment as well. Um, but <clears throat> so that, that's primarily our user base. So really, for each one of those uh, users, they uh, have had a requirement to do sign and encrypted emails mm -hmm. uh, and uh, eventually want to be able to expand to um, accessing uh, secure websites um, via that credentialing as well. So how's it changed the user experience? Yeah. I mean, the obvious thing is you don't have to swipe a cat yeah. through a clunky reader. Yeah, exactly. Anymore, yeah. Uh, so our previous users, uh, those who uh, sign an encrypted email, I will tell you that uh, because the Navy was behind, we had a large uh, 
um, subset of the user population that did not do sign in encrypted emails via our mobility solutions because it required a, uh, a uh, the, the CAC sled in order to be able to do that. Uh, now all users, right, uh, we can enforce the policy that says all emails have to be signed and encrypted. That will be a step after we get through the initial implementation. But now we can enforce that policy, right, for signing of all uh, emails via the mobile solution. And so the purebred solution allows us to be able to, to provide the derived credentials solution that enables our be able to enforce the policy. And purebred's been around for a few years now. It has. Is there is there anything in particular that, that made you say, okay, this is the time? I mean, yeah. has the technology matured or you just haven't got around to it yet? Or? Yeah, the technology has matured a bit. And uh, quite frankly, our last mobility solution was actually a pilot, mm. right? Uh, it was a pilot uh, using the BlackBerry Good for Enterprise solution uh, just to move um, beyond the BlackBerry handheld devices that everybody remembers, mm -hmm. right, to using Androids and iOS uh, with uh, Navy email on them. So really as we made that leap, uh, the pilot solution was using that good for enterprise solution and uh, we did not enforce the derived credentials policy at that time. Uh, we had CAC layers for those folks who wanted to do um, uh, sign an encrypted email. So now we're kind of moving beyond that with an intent to enforce the policy. So now uh, it's essential for all of our mobility users to have that derived credential solution. It's been a couple of years since I've seen a purebred demo, but at least at that time, I wouldn't say it's rocket science to, yeah. to enroll a user, but it, it's, it's, it's a thing. It takes yes. a few minutes yes, per does. user. Does. So how, how, how significant a lift is it to, to yeah. do this transition? And well, get I will tell you, we found it to be challenging, challenging in some instances. Um, the, the basic principle of the of the cell phone, if you will, is that it requires a cellular signal, right? Yeah. Or a uh, or um, we've advanced that you can use uh, a wireless signal with that as well. Uh, we have some, I would say, um, some of our um, most important users, our VIPs, if you will, uh, and our Pentagon, right, kind of represents our most challenging environment because. Uh, and most folks that have been in the Pentagon realize that the cellular signals are are almost nil, none there, with the exception of a few pocket areas. Right. And we don't have wireless within the Pentagon. So we really had to go uh, and find some innovative means to be able to uh, get our Pentagon users up and running. Once once those users have gotten up, uh, it really hasn't been an issue. But getting through that, that first step, as you said, it is a little bit of a step. Uh, in an optimal environment, that whole process takes about 30 minutes to get set up, uh, with the purebred piece taking about 15 minutes. However, the connectivity issues can sometimes extend that to an hour or beyond, and that's been our challenge in terms of being able to move forward is how do we get those users, just the initial activation. Probably similar challenges, I would imagine, if someone happens to be deployed underway yes, while yes, there's yes. limited connectivity exactly, situations. Exactly. So uh, it's a couple months down the road on this, I think. So yes. how, how's it going so far? Yeah, we, we're just about halfway in terms of our overall user base. And really, uh, I think right now, those users uh, who don't have the uh, connectivity issues, uh, they're moving along at the pace that we would expect. And we're really trying to hone in and narrow down on those users that are in those challenged um, environments with respect to connectivity so that we can uh, get those users up and then we'll kind of be off and running and more so past that initial activation just into the normal operations and sustainment phase. And with that, 
we can start to advance the capability sets that we're going to provide for mobility solutions. And the initial message, I think, just talked about iOS devices. Are yes. you moving on to Android soon? Yes. And so uh, I would say throughout the history of our, um, you know, our experience with the iOS and the Android devices, we found that the Android solutions have usually lagged the iOS solutions in terms of the integrated solution sets uh, from a DOD perspective in terms of some of the things like credentialing, uh, securing the mobile device. Um, so in this particular case, we found the BlackBerry integration has been no different in terms of uh, a lag. So um, they've experienced, BlackBerry has experienced some challenges in integrating the purebred piece of that. And now they don't expect that solution to be um, made available uh, at least in the security posture that would be suitable to us moving forward until about the June time frame. So for right now, uh, we only had um, about 2.5% of our overall user base that use Android. So for right now, we're going to ask, in order to ensure continuity of service, we're going to ask those users to switch to iOS. We'll continue working with BlackBerry and Purebred on the integration of that piece and look to offer that in a future uh, service offering. And any particular concerns about, you know, if a device that has derived credentials installed on it is lost or stolen, is it effectively the same as losing a cat card and that the credentials just have to be revoked? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, we, we look, that, look for it to be a, a real, um, uh, I would say, risk-averse um, uh, way of pro providing that credentialing via that mobile device that they, you write, you lose it or whatever, because we can revoke the credentials and move forward without a, a big risk at all. That's Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks. We'll come back and talk about some broader issues involving identity management and cloud computing in the Navy after a short break. This is On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbin. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And our guest for this part of the program is Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks. His biggest job right now is managing the next generation enterprise network contract. We are not talking specifically about NGEN in this interview, since the recompete is in source selection at this very moment. But we are looking ahead to some of the things the Navy plans to do with cloud and identity management in the coming years, as it looks to de-emphasize the need for its users to be physically connected to government networks to get the data they need. Before the break, Captain McNeil talked with us about the Navy's adoption of DISA's purebred program. That's letting sailors at least access their email from mobile devices without the need for a common access card. So let's expand this out a little yeah. bit, because I, I don't want to leave people with the impression that that, that um, purebred or even PKI yes. is the Navy's entire answer to identity. So how does this fit in with everything else you guys are doing yes. in the identity space? Well, identity is a big part of what we're doing moving forward. As we talk about um, our vision for uh, transformation, um, cloud uh, services, everybody may have heard the Navy's cloud-first strategy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but along with that strategy is also how we optimize security to uh, enable uh, our user base to be able to access uh, data uh, that is secured and provided by NMCI, you know, from any location uh, at, any, at any time they'd like to access that data. Uh, as we move from a much more defense in-depth centric posture from security, identity is the new medium for security, right? Identity. Uh, would allow you to be able to 
um, I would I would equate it to once you are in the house, right? You can go to any room that you like to go mm-hmm. uh, in today's environment. With identity, that we have the ability to control what room you go to, right, and what you access when you get to that room. So that's why identity uh, is a huge piece of um, uh, the, the the fabric of us moving forward. Uh, to consume more cloud services and move our service delivery model forward. It seems like there's got to be a lot of enabling work that has to yes, happen before yes, you can yes. figure out which rooms people are supposed to have access exactly. to, right? you got to label those rooms. Yes. you got to label each user. How, yes. how, how much, how big a lift is that going to be? Well, yes, uh, for, for each of those applications, right, it really gets into, uh, we got to, you write a lot of background work that needs to be done across domains for each individual application. Uh, so I don't look for that to be an easy lift moving forward. There's definitely some homework we got to do, but I think definitely uh, uh, we end up um, procuring a lot of infrastructure, right, because we can't get there. And so you're right, there is some initial work that needs to be done to enable those um, capabilities. But once we've enabled those capabilities, it'll, it allows our ability to move faster and achieve more things in a much more rapid fashion. And once you have, do you start to break down the paradigm of, you know, whether it's even relevant that you're operating on a government furnished device yes. at all yeah. or whether you have PKI credentials on that device? Yeah, that, that's where we ultimately want to get to, whereby the user doesn't have to worry about such things, right? That, hey, um, you know, whether it's the derived credentials on the, on the mobile device, which, you know, now the user, I would say it before, I had to use my CAC device when I saw an email was encrypted. Now I don't even think about it, right? I mm-hmm. really don't even look to see whether it's encrypted or not because the interface will tell me that if I need to provide my PIN number as for credentialing purposes, hey, it prompts me to do so and I just move forward and it's fairly seamless to the user. So in the big scheme of things, we like for all things to be like that. Hey, well, you don't have to worry about the differences between your commercial device and what we do with our government work that, hey, the technologies that we provide in the user experience and how we integrate those provides an experience that doesn't differentiate between what we do on the commercial side and what we do on the government side. It sounds like that's more long-term. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the impression I'm getting is there's kind of two tracks here, right? Government-furnished equipment with PKI certificates for access to a lot of NMCI resources, but then some other IDAM solutions for sailors to get access to MPT&E type things, right? Exactly. And I think we're trying to figure out how we marry up those solutions moving forward. You're right. Um, I think ultimately... Uh, we have a user base. If I talk, if I look at um, the way our uh, mobility, uh, my my brother uh, program within POEIS that is working the mobility piece, uh, we also have a large piece of our user base that was in the with Naval Reserve that looks to be agnostic in terms of it's not a government furnished device. It's bring your own device type concept or whatever, and the the identity. Uh, solution that we use in place for those things as opposed to what we do uh, for our GFE devices, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we need to, we want to be able to marry those two up. And I think the Navy's got some decisions moving forward in terms of does our entire population become a more of a bring your own device, you know, where, it's, where I'm not necessarily securing the, the device. I will tell you that my time in the industry that I spent with Google. Um, a, BO, a BYOD policy meant that the company was actually controlling your device, 
right? Those are some of the major hurdles that helps the, you know, policy things or whatever that helps us to marry those solutions that we need to get uh, passed before we can get to that point. Yeah, and I'm certainly not trying to get you to sign up yeah. or commit to any particular technology, but but can you talk about some of the sort of families of technologies yeah. that might be candidates out there for you to, as you said, marry up yeah. those two tracks? Yeah, well, one of the things we're looking to, to utilize is, um, is some of the identity management solutions right now. I'm not as familiar with all the different things that, that our, uh, our technical director at the PEO level, Andrew Tash, is working on uh, a number of different projects geared towards. Um, I think he has a uh, request for um, industry to provide feedback in terms of, hey, what are other solutions that we can utilize uh, to solve our identity management issues. All right, so I don't want to speak about any specific things right now because I Fair think enough, we're still yeah. in, the, in the early stages of trying to select um, the actual technologies. But a key technology that we're, that we're trying to couple with what we want to do for identity management is, is that as infrastructure as code to really help us to automate uh, the way we orchestrate these environments such that once we get the identity piece right, that everything else will kind of be more blended together so we can uh, really have a seamless integration across multiple domains and multiple clouds, if you will. Can you say a bit more about that concept of infrastructure yeah. as a code? Because it's not yeah. a term I'd heard until yes, today, yes, frankly. Yes. Well, yes. So uh, I think you've probably heard the term virtualization, mm -hmm. right? And so a step beyond virtualization is that of uh, using infrastructure as code. All right, when we virtualize an environment, all right, it really um, allows us to turn that physical infrastructure into a set of a virtual infrastructure, right? And, and beyond that is um, we still have to, to, to provision that um, in a manual fashion, right? What we ultimately want to do is have much more of those things be automated, right? Um, and, and image, if you will, on your particular workstation, all right, um, we want to represent that image as a set of um, declarative scripts, right, that allow uh, the identity uh, coupled with a lot of the applications uh, the policies there to all be orchestrated such that, hey, now I can take that standard image uh, from NMCI, I can now have a standard image that goes across NMCI and OneNet, right, and I can have the differences in that represented as code, all right, and it really um, allows us to be able to do a lot more in terms of um, our ability to be, to be able to provide um, functional capability to that particular workstation or domain because now I'm not in the manual provisioning business. I've accounted for some of those things and they're represented as code and they can now be programmed instead of manually manually provided. So the implication of that is obviously a lot less touch labor on yes. your IT personnel, but what's it mean yes. for the end user, for the sailor? Yes. Well, I, I would tell you for the end user and the sailor is now, um, a couple of our Navy examples are, I would say, embarkables, whereby we have sailors that are, hey, I'm in a, in a float environment, I'm in a, a shore environment, in six months I'm going to deploy, hmm. right? And so, hey, as they pick up and move from one environment to the next, right, they won't have to, um, when we talk about things like storage and their data that's represented in, in, in the environment that they are in ashore, as they move afloat, um, there's much less they won't have to reestablish themselves, right? They'll be able to pick up, that identity will be known, right? And their data will also be accessible, right? So um, for us, all that's done manually now, right? Hey, is, can I load all my files on some storage data, right? And then actually physically move it to the other environment so I can access it, right? We really want to eliminate that in terms of where we're moving 
to cloud to have that data replicated, right? But in central repository within a cloud, but how we kind of glue all that together is that fabric is really uh, what we look to use infrastructure as code to help us orchestrate those environments. Got it. Let me wrap up actually on, on a cloud question. Um, you know, as you said, the Navy's goal is to be cloud first, yeah. to be cloud native. What do you need to do between mm -hmm. now and whatever that end state is to, yes. to move yourselves to that place? You know, I, I would say first and foremost uh, is that we need to uh, improve upon our infrastructure, right? The expectation is, uh, is that when I am using a mobile device or I'm using a workstation that I can access, um, as we see it today, uh, I would use an example, your Gmail or your Hotmail account. Essentially, that data is in the cloud, mm -hmm. right? It's in the commercial cloud. And uh, I, the experience that we see uh, with our transport, uh, our intranet was really built for the internal transfer of data, right? And cloud um, demands that we reach out beyond our internal walls and get outside to reach up to the commercial cloud and back in. Right. So one of the big things we need to improve upon is really the transport or that fundamental infrastructure that allows us to go outside of our domain and back. It's really the pipes, right? It's mm -hmm. a, how do you get the piping right, right, to support more data throughput uh, at faster rates there so we can have a seamless access to that data so that not only you'll be able to access your Gmail, but some advanced capabilities like what we want to do with voice over IP and video are also capabilities that if you go to the commercial world and you work, right, all of those things are available to you to be able to use and to enhance productivity on a daily basis. That's ultimately where we want to try to go to. It's not only moving all our apps to the cloud, but moving, moving our total user experience that way is in that direction as well. So that's kind of the infrastructure piece, but how yes. do you convince people that you can do all of that and move from an intranet to an internet yeah. to a cloud model without compromising security at all? Yeah, good good point, good point. Well, I think there's a lot of things that, we, that we're looking to, um, uh, it's, it's really a uh, crawl, uh, walk, run uh, with respect to demonstrating the necessary security as we make that move to cloud. Uh, most folks may be familiar with, uh, within the DOD, we have a set of uh, cloud, security cloud security requirements guide, mm -hmm. which represent themselves as standards for implementing cloud. And what we find right now is that um, the standards that we have for, for uh, moving to cloud and our current security uh, posture in terms of how we're aligned and really trying to defend the fort, if you will, from an internal standpoint and keep things out, right? They really conflict with each other. So at each turn, we're really assessing, hey, here's how we're architected now to where we need to be architected in the future, right? And, and the security piece is a huge piece of that to ensure that they align, right? So I won't tell you that, they were, that we're there now, but we really, uh, really do acknowledge that that uh, that those two paradigms exist and really trying to figure out how we can optimize and streamline what we do from an architectural support, architecture standpoint and provide the security to be able to allow us to, to, to do more cloud consumption. I'm making this up, but just yeah. as an example of maybe what you're talking yeah. about, I mean, those SRGs, I think right now say yeah. that you need to go through a cloud access point yes. if you're at level yes. five or yes. six. Maybe in the future, if identity is the centerpiece of security, that's no longer true? I would agree. I think um, you, you bring up a very good point. And so we talk about our uh, internal um, architecture. The cloud access points are 
you know, all cloud data has to traverse through that cloud access point. Uh, we do things like break and inspect, you know what I mean, that mm-hmm. data to kind of ensure um, that, uh, you know, that we that we maintain, you know, the, the confidentiality, the integrity, availability of those things. As, uh, um, but really what we need to do is, um, you know, from commercial industry, there are no cloud access points. A lot of those things are virtually done, right? And we're really talking about, um, you know, how do we change our, uh, security and boundary architecture to better align with how commercial industry consumes cloud. Uh, that will be the way that you would, you know, you would, I think the whole, one of the fundamental purposes of cloud is that not only can we consume cloud, but we can do it in a way that the rest of the world does it, right? But and what the one thing that keeps us from doing that happens to be that of security. There are things that we want to move fast on, but there are really things that we need to figure out so that we can optimize. Uh, we not We can not only consume cloud, but we can do it in an optimal manner. Okay, great. Captain McNeil, right. thanks for taking the oh, time. Thank you. Captain Ben McNeil is the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks. He talked with me at the Navy CIO's annual IT conference in San Diego. Another short break, and we'll talk more about the Navy's move to the cloud. Travis Methvin, the project manager for the Navy's Commercial Cloud Services Office, will join us. This is on DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serviv. Thanks for listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu. This is on DOD. As we continue our coverage of the ways in which the Navy's thinking about its future IT landscape, as you heard Captain Ben McNeil allude to just before the break, the service expects a lot of its IT services to be delivered through commercial cloud providers in the coming years. The Navy's business systems are first up, including Navy ERP, and many of its personnel systems are also on their way there to the cloud. If you've heard or read any discussion about the military and commercial cloud over the past year, it's probably involved DOD's JEDI contract. JEDI, at least for now, is mired in bid protests and allegations of conflict of interest, and it's not clear when that service will actually come online. But the Navy is not waiting. A year ago, it gave the CIOs of its Echelon 2 commands their own authority to contract for cloud services. Last summer, it stood up a new office to coordinate those efforts and help Navy customers move their systems to the cloud. Travis Methvin is the project manager for Navy Commercial Cloud Services. He talked with me about how that brokerage arrangement is working and how his office connects them. Our job is to enable uh, Navy Cloud brokers um, with providing uh, services and uh, migrate or who are responsible for migrating their portfolio of applications to commercial cloud. So we're really here to uh, empower uh, Navy cloud brokers, but we're also a conduit to educate uh, the Navy at large on how we're doing cloud, what services are available, and help be the conduit to the Navy cloud brokers. And those brokers you mentioned are at each of the systems commands, right? Uh, they're at the syscoms right now. And then there is, uh, we we have some sub-delegated brokers within there. Uh, so each of the syscoms, uh, uh, NAVC, NAVSUP, NAVFAC, SPAWAR, uh, NAVAIR, uh, MSC, and SSP are the Navy cloud brokers right now. So it would explain the difference between what your role is and what the broker's role is, because I think in the past a lot of the functions that you're performing would have been thought of as a, as a broker role. Right. So I, I think a lot of my, our role stemmed from how we started with data center consolidation and the background of understanding fee-for-service models and uh, 
decoupling of applications from hardware and looking at the enterprise service aspects of it. So a lot of the, the governance and a lot of the uh, business aspects of how the Navy needs to, to look at their IT spend and what we're doing with IT spend is kind of where we got our uh, foundational uh, background in this, in this arena. And so what they looked for us to do was to still provide that structure and provide that enablement of services, uh, look at and try and track what the demand is for the Navy specifically, where we're seeing that services are not available and how we can bring those services to market, whether it comes from a Navy cloud broker, or if it's something that we need to look at centrally funding to support those services. Got it. So looking across the broad landscape, what, what are those services that are available? What, what cloud products are, are you able to move things into? Uh, so right now we just let our uh, blanket purchase agreement. Uh, it was awarded to CSRA as our managed service provider, uh, leveraging the, the GSA Schedule 70. Um, right now we have a... Uh, um, two primary commercial service providers, uh, Microsoft and Amazon, um, but we are uh, continuing to work with uh, other commercial cloud providers, but any of the services available on the uh, uh, Schedule 70 are available for consumption that we can write task orders on our blanket purchase agreement. So primarily we're using a lot of the, the Microsoft and Amazon capacity services, but we're also, the reason we chose a managed service provider was to look at how we could do training, how we could do system integration to not, to bring those services or make those services available to applications that may not have in-house or may not have a, a technical staff that could provide that. So we're helping with the, the brokers again, but we're also offering those services to applications as well. So to, to talk a little bit more about the, the services that you actually provide to, you know, take a legacy application and make it cloud ready. I mean, is that mostly advisory on your part? Do you do a lot of the technical legwork that, that's involved in that? It's mostly advisory. We're leveraging the, the cloud brokers to, to provide the, the, the heavy lift on uh, working with those applications. Um, we, we do the education aspect of it as far as educating them on what service or specific cloud services mean. Mm -hmm. um, whether it be from Azure or Amazon or any of, any of that, and providing that service delivery framework to the, the application owners. It's really a uh, discussion and conduit on, on starting their cloud journey. So this BPA is relatively new. When exactly did that stand uh, It was awarded in October, uh, and then after a short protest period, uh, it became available uh, November 18th, I believe, right about there. So uh, we're working through our first task orders uh, that are primarily based on training for enterprise training for the Navy um, to, again, help not only the cloud brokers, but with uh, different fleet concentration areas to try and provide vendor-specific having the actual commercial service providers or having actual industry come in and provide those those training opportunities to, again, just more enablement, outreach, and, and helping the, the folks in the Navy start their cloud journey. Yeah, you partly anticipated my next question, which was, have you really gone through any migrations so far in the, in the short time you've been up and running? So we, we have gone through uh, a few migrations. Um, I think the, the interesting and challenging uh, aspect to what we're looking at now is, is how do we go from the individual application migrations and get out of that infrastructure as a service and start looking at platform as a service and, and also offering the opportunities for software as a service. So we've, we've had both opportunities uh, to uh, move some of those workloads, uh, whether it be from software as a service or platform as a service. We're working with the, the SEC DevOps on uh, their C2C24 effort and how we bring that methodology into all of our uh, software migrations and how we bring that in. Um, we've uh, also worked with a lot of bigger programmer records right now. We're supporting uh, Navy ERP. Um, 
some of the Cyclada efforts. Um, but we're also supporting things like iNavy with um, uh, SharePoint Online and trying to, to move out on some of the, the different facets of 365 and not uh, focus so much on the, the universal communication side of it, but rather how we can start to bring some of those uh, software as a service to a greater scope in the Navy. One of the things that we're, we're looking at is a uh, functional cloud broker as we start to mature and shift those models. Um, and what, what that's intended to do is, is try and help us get out of uh, having several people all produce the same capability. Right. Um, and that's not trying to say that we don't want multiple opportunities. There are going to be use cases where people don't fit in that model, and we understand that, but we want to get out and uh, ahead of the software as a service and how we can move out. Yeah, because you don't want, you know, you don't want NavC and Navair to buy the exact same Microsoft product, right? Exactly. That's Travis Methvin, the project manager for Navy Commercial Cloud Services. He's back with us after one more break to talk about the Navy's thinking on cloud migrations. This is on DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbia. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we wrap up our hour on Navy IT, Travis Methvin, the project manager for Navy Commercial Cloud Services, is back with us for a few more minutes. Before the break, he told us his office is already trying to push its Navy customers toward a platform-as-a-service delivery model. And moving, moving back to platform, as, uh, based on the sort of families of applications that you've looked at so far, can you give me an example of sort of the type of thing that, that might belong, that might fit better in platform-as-a-service versus infrastructure? Well, ultimately, I think everything will fit into some sort yeah. of platform. What we're, what we're primarily focusing on are, right now are applications that would have a ship and a shore component that may have to traverse or data traverse, but uses on both sides so that we can start to standardize with ACS and uh, um, different. We, we had to pick a platform, and so that made the, the use cases available right there when we started to look at ship and shore applications. So Things like, uh, I know some of the noble effort is going out. Um, uh, NIAPS is starting to look at some of it. So it, it, it's a pretty interesting time. It's an interesting concept with the C2, C24, and the software armory. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is create an inheritance model so we can start to, to drive out some of the timelines that, that are associated with applications moving through the accreditation process. Mm -hmm. so, um, we, we know that we see the challenge with, one, offering services and the timeline associated uh, from a provisional or from the FedRAMP and from the provisional authority. And then, you know, within the services, we still add that accreditation piece. So what we're really trying to do is, is help upfront to create that inheritance model. So application owners are really just trying to accredit their minimum uh, part of their application. And we are taking care of the bulk, or I should say the Navy cloud brokers are taking care of the bulk packages for them. Talk, say a bit more about that inheritance model. What are you inheriting from so the, the platform? Right. You would be inheriting for either from the environment or from the platform in this case. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about ATO in a day and how we could do ATO in a day. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a lot of what, what the, the C2C24 effort is looking at and how do we um, create those software armories to do that. <clears throat> but from an accreditation standpoint, everything's a building block on top of it. We've got a great relationship with the NAO and we're starting to uh, be able to publish EMAS records for um, things that have already gone through FedRAMP accreditation or through uh, the PA process, which allows the applications to to start to pull those um, records in and look at how they can build that 
model for or what's already been taken care of for them as part of the inheritance. Also, the Navy cloud brokers are looking at the environments that they control within a, an Azure or an Amazon. And again, that application is going to be benefiting from that previous accreditate. So they're going to be pulling that in to help support the application. As far as getting that provisional authorization and ATO process done faster, is that inheritance model seem to be the answer as far as you guys can tell so far? Or are there other ways that you've found to speed up? Um, well, there's other ways to, that we found to speed up. Uh, a lot of it is um, time and duration, things that we don't necessarily control as part of the FedRAMP. Um, what we're recommending is that we, from a Navy situation that we start to look at where we can leverage FedRAMP more uh, in, a, in a more rapid fashion in the sense of upfront in the process instead of um, waiting till we get to a Navy service accreditation and, and build quicker to understand that some of the timelines that go along with it. Because again, ultimately, it's about trying to, to reduce that timeline to get that application into a commercial cloud. Right. So as part of that advisory role that you talked about earlier, are, are you at times pushing people toward mill cloud where it makes sense, or are you, are you focused exclusively on commercial providers? No, we, on our, on our uh, portal, we offer mill cloud rate cards. Uh, we look at it as a viable <coughs> option if customers want to pursue that path. We don't call them a Navy cloud broker, but we do offer mm. uh, that rate card and, and the opportunity to talk with them if it does make sense for them to go that route. Gotcha. So as, as I understand it, the long-term plan, once JEDI exists, is to put as much as possible into that general purpose cloud. Mm -hmm. And I guess one thing I wonder is, are, is there anything to worry about as far as complications involved in essentially migrating applications twice, you know, once to the environments that, that you're looking at right now and then eventually to JEDI once once that's up and running? So I think there's going to be small technical hurdles to come over, but again, we're looking at uh, my guess is that JEDI will be awarded to someone that we have a relationship with or we have workloads in. And so it becomes almost a business process of turning over the keys in some cases and buying that capacity or leveraging that capacity through JEDI. And that's one of the things we started doing some use cases on, on documenting on what that process would be to turn over from a DevSecOps to a production, mm -hmm. which we think when JEDI comes online, that'll just be a, a furthering of that step to say what is the, the next turnover process and how we would do it. Yeah, and I guess it's easier to move from cloud to cloud than it is from legacy to cloud. Right. Yeah. I think it's an exciting time for Navy Cloud in general. Uh, we Again, we have uh, a lot some new services coming online, uh, some new training opportunities coming out for the Navy. Um, we're, we're encouraging uh, the Navy brokers to, to look at the, the task order opportunities. Uh, we're, we're doing our first uh, um, cross-service summit on the 28th of February where we're gonna work with uh, uh, our equivalency in um, uh, the different services. So Air Force and Army are both going to, to be in attendance. Uh, and it's really just a, a sharing and a lessons learned between the, the communities to make sure as I, I love to learn from people who've solved the problem before me so I don't have to recreate the wheel. And I think it's just an opportunity to continue to grow and learn for the DOD. Yeah, so who's, who's the audience for that training piece? What do you, and, and what are you trying to educate them about? So the, the training pieces are, are primarily, um, we have, I should say we have multiple training opportunities. One is with the commercial cloud, uh, primarily looking at administrators and developers. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a Navy cloud broker training um, set up over the next couple months. And then we're also doing a, an executive level or a CIO level uh, engagement where we're bringing in folks to to create that executive level awareness. Because one of the things that we're noticing is it's not just 
a technology problem. We have to look at the training and how we're doing it across all competencies. So lawyers, uh, mm -hmm. our financial managers, our, our contract officers, this is all um, it's it's a new and exciting opportunity to learn how we have to start buying IT as a service. So whether you know getting comfortable with T's and C's, getting comfortable with you know how we procure and how we're buying cloud, because mm -hmm. you're not buying a box anymore. You're right. buying a capability, and and I think it's looking at how we continue to grow and how we can continue to uh, learn in all of those competencies. Because I think in a way we have industry that can help us with the insertion side of it. I think it's really a culture of how we're going to shift some of that, that education and how we shift from the, the hardware-based model that we've been in for a while. It is part of it training the, the existing development community how to build things in a cloud-native fashion, or, or are they, they pretty good in that space already? Well, I think no, I, I think it's going to be building cloud native applications because I think that we, we can continue with the model of, uh, of a lift and shift but I don't think that that's the desire. Yeah. Um, we want to get to a point where we're decoupling those services and we're looking to build in a platform and economize and take some efficiencies uh, with those applications. That's Travis Methvin, the project manager for Navy Commercial Cloud Services, talking with me at the annual Navy IT conference in San Diego. Before that, we heard from Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks, about how the Navy's moving forward with identity management. If you missed that conversation, we'll post this week's full program, as always, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash ondod. You can also listen in our podcast feed. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, or your favorite podcast delivery service. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbu. So long. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.